we are going to start a new series today. Uh, it's a series I'm calling Home. And some of you are newer to Cross You. Sometimes I like to share how I think through the sermon series that we're doing. Generally, what I try to do is I sit out and plan a year. Uh, if you were with us the last 24 weeks, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. I like to preach through books of the Bible. And I'm, I'm nearing the end of my fifth year here at Crossview, and I was looking back, I've preached through a lot of different books, and I've really tried to give us a balance of the whole biblical narrative. I've preached through Genesis and parts of Exodus. We've preached the wisdom literature. We've preached the Psalms. We've preached several books in the prophets, and we've been in the New Testament, and we've been in the Gospels. We'll be in the Gospels a lot this upcoming year, actually. We've been through three letters of Paul, a letter from James, and the book of Revelation. We've jumped around the Bible, getting a healthy taste of the different parts. But in between series on books of the Bible, I like to generally do what I call biblical theology. There are these major themes that are critically important for understanding who God is and who we are in light of who God is that are introduced to us in the biblical narrative in the story of Genesis and they find their ultimate yes in Jesus. But we live in the tension of the already not yet nature of the kingdom of God. It's already breaking into our midst, but it's not yet fully consummated. And so we see in the biblical narrative the culmination of these themes in the book of Revelation. Some of the themes we've done together are rest. We did a series on rest. We've done a series on power. Oh, I forgot to dismiss the kids. Sorry. <laughs> Nate and Julie are bailing me out. Go over there to Nate and Julie. So... You just can't do it all, right? So that's good. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we've done rest, we've done power. I did a series on identity, a series on forgiveness, and we're going to spend several weeks in a series called Home. I don't have a funny story today other than I forgot to dismiss the kids. That's part of my intro. But, but today my intro to the series is more a question that I want you to think about. In fact, I invite you, if if you come up with an answer to this question, maybe you email it to me. Maybe it'll fit into another sermon I, I do in this series. But I want you to think, what, what makes home for you? I mean, it, I don't know that you can answer it immediately. When do you know your home? I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this because Kami and I have moved in 17 years of marriage. We've probably lived in 10 or 11 different homes. <laughs> what makes a place your home? For Kami and I, we've always valued the local church, so there's been times we've moved, and I've, and I've said, I just want to get in a small group. I hope you take advantage of small groups. I've said, as soon as I'm in a small group, then I'll know we're home. I'll, I'll have some people in the family of God to do life with. Small groups have been important for me. But maybe on a lighter note, again, it'd be fun to hear your thoughts. I've often said to people, I know I'm home when I have a good mechanic I can trust, <laughs> My cars break down all the times. So I need a good mechanic that I can trust to fix my car. I have one in Sycamore to Calb. I know I'm home, right? Maybe on a deeper level, again, you might have your own, but I've said to Kimi before, I know we're home when it's Sunday night and we don't have any plans and we know who to hang out with. I know we're home when it's Sunday night and we haven't planned a month ago what we're going to do tonight and there's people we can safely hang out with because we're home. Maybe you have your own idea of what makes home. Please email it to me this week. And in this series, again, today's an introduction that's going to kind of give us roadmaps for where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. But there's two major things that I want to cover as we dive into this. 
The first side of home is the relational side of home. Uh, I'm a pastor, whether I'm in the church or outside of the church, when people find out I'm a pastor, I often get the behind the scenes story. People tend to go a little deeper with me than they do with other people. I consider it a privilege. And I will tell you, some of you are thinking I'm, I'm talking about you, but I'm really not. I've heard this from so many people, I've lost count. But in the last 16 months, for many of us, family hasn't felt like family all of a sudden. That there's been so much arguing and rage and disagreement and confusion and misunderstandings and writings of stories that, that siblings or parents or cousins or kids have seemingly cut us out of their lives. <laughs> I've talked to several people that have said this person was, I've never fought with this family member before and now we're not even talking to each other. <laughs> what is home in the last 16 months? One of the ways I've been thinking about it, and, and we'll probably look at this a little bit more next week, but as I've like tried to listen, just observe the stories that people are telling. You know, you grow up as a kid, and you have parents who you, you if you grew up in a healthy family, who you trust are going to be making decisions for your good. And then you become a, an adult, and you begin to wonder, is anyone else anymore, is anybody, now that I'm an adult, is anybody making decisions for my good? <laughs> Is anybody, when they're making decisions and I'm not there for, are, are, is anybody making decisions, is anyone making decisions for me, thinking of me when they make decisions? It's, it's one of the themes that I keep hearing in the last 16 months. So I want to lean into a little bit. What does it mean to be the family of God? But the second thing that we'll probably get into later in this series, and, and it's going to come up, both of these things come up in our text this morning. If you go on this quest or this journey of finding home, with God and the family of God and the house of God, you will discover that until Jesus returns, you are to some degree living in exile. And I don't know if you've just, in all the unrest and all the stuff that's happened globally and maybe even locally for you, maybe you found yourself asking the question, where do I fit in when everything is changing? Where do I fit in when things that used to feel familiar don't feel familiar anymore? So our aim, and tell me if this doesn't sound like good news to you and even release some of your anxiety and stress as I say this, but our aim over the coming weeks in this series is to be able to say, in Christ, I am home. To be able to look around at the people of God and say, these are the people that know me as I truly am. That this is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. <laughs> to be able to look at the family of God, the church, to look at Jesus and say, I belong here. <laughs> That's what we're aiming for. I think many of us are thirsty for that. The first few verses I want to read will be in Hebrews 11 most of the time this morning, and then we're going to jump to John 8 at the very end. But Hebrews is a good example, actually, of what I call biblical theology. It actually might even be a collection of early sermons in the early church. You get a sense of how the early church leaders were preaching their Bible, the Old Testament. And if you read through Hebrews, you see they very much held firmly to the story in the Old Testament, but they worked to show how everything is yes and amen in Jesus. So Hebrews 11, 1, it's a very, first three verses here, actually very famous verses. We get the closest thing to kind of a definition of faith in the Bible. There's not a lot of definitions of faith. There's more examples of faith in the Bible. 
Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So here you go. You, you walk by faith. You become somebody who can see what is not seen. Verse 2, for by it, the people of old, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's kind of a paradox. It's one of the many mysteries of the Bible. I don't always know. I mean, that's why discipleship gets tricky because you don't always know how to explain these things. I mean, this is a definition of faith, but it's not fully complete. It doesn't dot every I and cross every T. It doesn't answer every question. Somehow we're told that when you walk by faith, you learn to see what is unseen. I mean, how do you actually do that? And one of the things I love as I've grown in my reading of the Bible is the, is the mysteries. I've actually come to enjoy the things that I can't immediately explain. We say often that we confess more than we can explain. And that's part of the journey of being a disciple of Jesus. It's part of what draws us forward. We know that it's true. We know that by faith we'll see what we can't see. So you have to embark on the journey to learn how to do it and what it means and what it looks like. Even as I've been preparing for this series, I've been surprised, I mean, somewhat surprised by how many songs sing of home. I mean, pay attention this week to the songs that you listen to. How many of them are, are longing for home, are singing for home, are celebrating home? Again, send me songs with lyrics that are powerful at capturing for you what it means to be home. One of the songs that caught my attention this week as we talk about a quest, as we talk about a journey, as we talk about a pilgrimage to our true home is U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know that song by U2? famous song. As Bono sings it, he says, I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's powerful words. That's why the song, I mean, the music's beautiful, but the lyrics are powerful. And I don't know if you've paid much attention to the third verse, but from what I know about you two, they actually know Jesus pretty well. And this third verse actually sounds a lot like a, a confession of faith. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. And Bono sings, you know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I talk a lot about a journey or a quest or a pilgrimage here at Crossview, and I'm not trying to be cute. If you embark on this Jesus journey, if you embark on your truest home, it is, it is a journey. You at some point realize in your endeavor at being human that you're lost. That the world you inhabit isn't the way it's supposed to be. You experience this thirst for more, uh, an inner discontent. I think every human being finds that at some point something's not right. Even if it seems like circumstances in my life are going well, I'm still not at ease. I'm missing something. We still haven't found what we're looking for. And we're thirsty. So the author of Hebrews, you can read through chapter 11 on your own. They're going to highlight many people, but 
They're really going to look at Abraham if you read through this chapter. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham lived around the year 2000 BC. So you can actually think about Jesus was about 2000 years ago from us and Jesus was about 2000 years after Abraham. So that gives you some idea of where Abraham's at in this story of salvation history. And he lived in a place called Ur, somewhere near Iraq today. And I was doing a little work on Ur I mean, one article I read said there were probably more than 100,000 people living in the city of Ur. It was a place of beauty graced with towers and palaces and temples and law courts and market squares. This 4,000 years ago, statues, shrines, gardens, mosaics, reliefs, and monuments. It was divided into rectangular blocks by paved streets lined with two-story houses It had its own seaport, a man-made canal, and possibly a sewer system with some sort of running water 4,000 years ago. The point is, Ur was advanced and sophisticated. You could say it seemed to be on the edge of civilization, the cutting edge of civilization, of progress, of technology. So Abraham is a citizen in perhaps the greatest country in the world, maybe the most prosperous and advanced city you could live in 4,000 years ago. But something has happened in Abraham. And he hears the voice of the one true God, and he now goes looking for another city. What does verse 10 say? For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. A city whose design and structure is implemented by God. In other words, Abraham does not leave what he knows and go somewhere else because he's going to look for a better version of Ur. There might not really be a better version of Ur in his day. But Abraham, I think, because he heard the voice of God, began asking the question, if God was really running the world, if God was the architect of how human beings gather together, would it look a little different? Would he arrange things differently? In other words, Abraham is not looking for just the greatest version of what he's already seen and already known. He goes looking for something he's never seen, a city built by God, a true home. And we've talked a bit about this across to you. It's something I've kind of stumbled along more recently in terms of biblical theology. But this idea of, of, of human civilization in the Bible. There's a man named Cain. He becomes envious of his brother Abel. He doesn't like the way the world is operating and so he murders his brother. And the Bible tells us that Cain goes off and he founds the first city. He is the founder of human civilization as we know it. Cain began to organize humanity and he was a murderer who thought thought killing his brother was the best way to move forward. Abraham's not satisfied with what he's already seen and known. He goes looking for something different. He leaves, he steps out into the unknown, and he goes to a place he doesn't even know where he's going. He just follows the promise of the living God. He's looking for something truly new, and he does it by faith. 
Abraham saw by faith. A different way to see. And as we'll keep reading, we'll see that he was content to live as a stranger in a strange land. So let me say it this way. Those who live by faith do see what everyone else sees, but they see even more than that. In other words, faith is not a blindness. Faith is the, the ability to see beyond what others see. We see the world is not right. We see what is broken in the world. We begin to see the way the world is arranged, the way the world goes round, the way the world is energized by greed and pride. But we don't despair because we confess Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. We don't give up on the world. Jesus came out of love to save the world. And so we believe and we know and we look for God to move because the world can be saved because Jesus is the savior of the world. Abraham was at home in Ur, but he came to believe that there was something else, something he had never seen. He saw it by faith. So he was no longer at home in the world the way it is. He started to believe that God, the true and living God, this one true God will build a city and he'll design and build a new way of being human. So let's keep reading. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah, Abraham's wife, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So that's... That's where we'll start in the series. Next week, we'll begin talking about this relational side of the family of God. That was the promise to Abraham that, that 4,000 years ago, Abraham looked into the sky and one star he saw was lit for you and me. I mean, that's, and he believed that. And because of his faith, God has honored that. And through Abraham and Sarah's offspring, we, we, we find Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, the ultimate fulfillment of this. Verse 13, these all died, he's talking about Abraham and beyond, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, the Messiah had not come, but having seen them, having seen them by faith and greeted them from afar, from a distance, and having acknowledged that they were, and this is what we'll spend the second half of this series talking about, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I know you feel like a stranger in exile on the earth. Well, you should. That's what it means to live by faith. Verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They're looking for home. They're longing for home. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, if they thought about Ur or the beautiful place that they were and that that, that was all they needed, they would have had the opportunity. They could have gone back. They had their opportunity to return. But as it is, they, they desire a better country. There's something that tells them there's more. There's got to be more. They desire a better country, a heavenly one, not... Not just going to heaven, but, but the author of this city is in heaven. And this is what Revelation tells us. This is part of what Jesus tells us. God is bringing the new Jerusalem. God is bringing the city of the Lamb. God is bringing the kingdom of God, this heavenly city, here to earth. He is making all things new. That's what he's doing. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because he has prepared a city for them. He has invited them. He has invited you and I into the city. And by faith, we have said yes. 
There's another city that is more substantial and enduring. Now, it takes faith to see it, but once you see it, it changes everything. And you realize that what you really see in front of you is a faded shadow version of the ultimate. That what we inhabit on many days is not our true homeland. And and that once you catch a glimpse by faith of the kingdom Jesus is bringing, you realize that you're a stranger in a strange land longing for your true homeland. You realize that we are trying to move out of a, a little or a smaller world that we've created. A smaller world that is too often dominated by fear and greed and envy and anxiety and stress and small thinking and tribalism. And what we're trying to do is move into this much larger world where there's freedom and joy and faith and hope. And of course, as we talk about all the time, love. That one of the goals of our pilgrimage, our quest, our journey is to come to the place where all of our false gods born of fear are replaced with the living God and the life of Jesus. And we find our true home where we, where we know we're known and we know we belong. There is an enduring city that we see by faith. We learn from Abraham that faith is a journey and an ongoing quest. We learn that Abraham could have gone back, but he held on to the promise. And so you and I hold on to the promise. We see in Hebrews that Abraham died without receiving the fullness of the promises. He saw from a distance. But they weren't thinking of the land they were leaving them behind. They were thinking of this better country. And you and I continue to see what Jesus offers, the kingdom coming. So we stay on our journey. We stay on our quest. We stay on our pilgrimage. This week was a fun week for me because I got a handful of just encouraging emails. I mean, just, just emails that are evidence that God is moving in our church. And so I asked permission from two people to share. I got, I got one here and then a little bit more from John Aiden than another. But one of our family members sent this to me this week. They're on their own quest, their own journey. And I've been walking with them for a few years and been able to see how God is transforming them. And this is what they wrote, the healing has really begun. This could be a much longer story, but the, full, the short version is that I ran into a former mentor from when I was younger, from about nine, ten years ago. I ran into him last week. And we were standing around catching up, and at some point my, my mentor looked at me and told me that I seemed happier. <laughs> kind of surprised me to hear them say that, so I responded without thinking that compared to when, when you knew me, I'm spectacular. <laughs> And it's not that I'm starting to feel like my old self again, because I don't feel like my old self, not the self I knew nine years ago. What's happening is that I'm, I'm in this process, I'm on this quest, I'm in this journey of becoming, or maybe you would say I'm changing or growing or healing. And it's not a perfect science. I can't necessarily tell you what has changed, but something has changed. I'm different. I'm finding my true home. We're on this journey of change, of transformation to our true home, to where we belong, where we're known. But I do want to say a few things. How do you know it's good change? How do you know it's a good journey? How do you know the quest you're on is actually going to lead to your truest home? I just step back, even in the dialogue of the broader church, there's a lot of journeys going on these days. Some of the journeys I celebrate and some of the journeys I worry about. 
So I want to look at one more kind of reference to Abraham in the New Testament. If you want to turn to John chapter 8, I'm not going to read the whole story, but I recommend John 8. It's an amazing chapter. Story of Jesus. And Jesus is interacting with some Jews who are kind of worked up with what he's doing. People don't always love Jesus in their first encounter until they get to know him. Because Jesus threatens them, threatens their power often. But in John 8, they're in this conversation with Jesus. In verse 56, as they're talking about their father, Abraham, Jesus says, again, Abraham lived 2,000 years before him, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And then Jesus has the audacity to say he saw it and was glad. Somehow by faith, from afar, from 2,000 years, from a distance, Abraham, by faith, saw the days of Jesus. And the Jews said, well, you're not even 50 years old. Have you seen it? I mean, they're, they're mocking him. And then Jesus, in one of his uh, several kind of self-revelations of his true identity, says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am which is laden with theological significance. But the point is, Abraham saw Jesus' day and was glad. The one who builds the city of God that Abraham longed for is named Jesus. Abraham was clearly a man looking for something, searching for something, and Abraham was always looking for Jesus even though he didn't know it. And he caught a prophetic glimpse of the future and where this is all going. And it filled his soul with hope. And he left what he knew and entered into the unknown. And he became a pilgrim looking for something, looking for a city whose architect and builder is God, driven to search for something other and something else, his truest home. Jesus says, Abraham saw the day of Jesus and rejoiced and was glad because Jesus is the one building what Abraham was always looking for even if Abraham couldn't articulate it in the ways that you and I can now. So if you and I are going to follow Abraham and go on this journey of faith, I think we do need the journey and we need the longing and we need the recognition that we're lost, that things aren't the way they should be. But I also want to say in the midst of all the journeys and quests that are happening in our day that we also need a constant. (laughs) Abraham had a constant We need both. We need the journey, the quest. We need to be willing to go into the unknown. We need to be willing to trust God to take us places we never imagined. We need to be willing to leave safety and security, but always with the constant, and that constant is Jesus. We believe in Jesus Christ. We confess him as Lord and Savior, died and risen again. In other words, Jesus is always our starting point on the journey. We don't arrive at Jesus, we start from Jesus. And our journey, our pilgrimage, is to go on almost the inner journey of the heart to find our our life fully lived in light of who God is and Jesus. And if you're a pilgrim, you you keep looking because we're always discovering, we're disciples, we're learning. But you understand, and this is some of what I fear sometimes in what I see in the church today, without a constant, you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know that you'll find your way home. If you go on a journey or a quest without a constant, without a guide who's as loving and prepared as Jesus, you may get lost in the woods. Now, if you get lost, guess what? Jesus is Savior. and He'll come and rescue you. 
Jesus will come rescue you as many times as you get lost. He's that good. He will leave the 99. I mean, as we talk about who always wills our good, it's Jesus. So we go on the journey, but we never go without our constant and our guide, Jesus. The other person I had the privilege of interacting with, it was one of my favorite moments of the week. Somebody emailed me this week, and and they wouldn't mind me telling you, in a bit of hysterics over some of the relational dynamics going on in their family. And they came and they met with me, and they kind of laid out their situation. It's their story to tell. I share this much with their permission. But they came and said, you know, I mean, actually, we talked for a while, and I didn't answer any of their questions or fix any of their problems. I just pointed them to Jesus. That's what we do at Crossview. And they looked at me and they said, you know, I, I, I came here wanting, Jeff, I wanted you to be a genie in a lamp. And I wanted to rub the lamp and I wanted you to give me a quick, easy, simple, formulaic answer that solved all my promises. But I knew you weren't going to do that. I knew you were going to point me to Jesus. And I knew that's not what I wanted, but it is what I really wanted. And that's why I came, because I know I need Jesus. In fact, as they shared their story, they said, you know, right now I'm so frustrated. I'm so confused. I want to go back to the teenage version of myself. I just want to act out because it seems like others around me are acting out. And they were just asking the question, isn't there another way to arrange these relationships? Isn't there a way that I can exist in harmony with people I love and care about? So I sent them away. I prayed. I just offered them Jesus. No real clear answers. Just Jesus. But I believe that's enough. (laughs) He is the constant on the journey. So we met Thursday afternoon, and lo and behold, I get an email Friday. (laughs) Jeff, you'll never believe what just happened this morning. God showed up. I'm sitting here in awe of how the Lord works. I heard words this morning I never expected I would ever hear. I think I'll always be shocked when I see God show up. It's amazing to watch God move. I know this is a small step, but it feels gigantic in the moment. In other words, my world just got bigger because my God is bigger than I ever imagined. (laughs) I mean, that's what God is doing. He's moving in our church as we walk by faith. And I will tell you, as we continue to talk about this quest, this pilgrimage, this journey home, walking by faith is fun to talk about after you've done it. When I met with our friend on Thursday, it wasn't fun to talk about. It wasn't fun to expect that God's going to show up or hope and pray. But when I got the email, super fun to talk about walking by faith. It's never fun to talk about it, but it's always amazing once you've done it. And we continue to walk by faith. We are navigating this pandemic. We are navigating unrest. We are navigating all kinds of relational dynamics that 24 months ago we would have never dreamed. So we go on the journey and we go into the unknown and we don't necessarily know what the future holds, but we trust that we're going home. That even if we feel like exiles and strangers in a strange land, as we keep Jesus as our guide and our constant, our faith grows deeper and richer than we ever imagined. We don't know where we'll end up further down the road, but we have our constant so we know it'll be with Jesus. And it'll be good.
So we keep looking, we keep asking, we keep walking by faith, we keep seeking Jesus. And we know that wherever we end up is where he wants us. So we trust by faith that he will lead us home. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we are, we're just kind of beginning this journey. We are embarking together on a journey home. And I do believe that we can taste it, we can We can see it, we can experience, and even what we can't fully see in flesh, we can see the unseen. And and Jesus, I'm going to ask a bold prayer, because I know that not everyone feels like they belong in this church family. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to get to know people. The last year has only made it harder. But I am going to boldly ask, I do believe that the church, the local church, is meant to be the signpost, the, the kind of the outpost of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And, and I don't even know how you'll do it, Jesus, but I'm going to trust that you will lead us to be a family. Where those of us here, maybe we don't feel it this morning, but, but in the days and weeks ahead, we, we trust you. Maybe we show up or do things that we didn't know that we could do. We walk by faith, we go into the unknown, but this family becomes a place where we belong. This property becomes a place that that is home. But not just a church, Jesus, all of creation is yours. And so we will wrestle with that tension of being exiles in a strange land, but also fully aware that you are with us and you are taking us home. Take us home, Jesus, into your presence, into your peace, and into your joy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.